Please be seated. Well, we've been in this uh, series on uh, Isaiah for quite a long time, and we now come to the point where this is the uh, last one in that series. And uh, we've seen some of the great things that the prophet has been saying. But as we turn to this chapter, I don't know what you feel about it, but it's on page 742, if you'd like to open it. It's a great passage of Scripture. It's a real encouragement. Now, many of you, I know, will have been with us when we had our church weekend uh, earlier in the year. The theme of that weekend was more, more of God, more of Jesus. And it's a theme that's been on my mind ever since. How can we have more of God and more of Jesus? Well, I believe this passage helps us to build upon these desires. It provides us with encouragement and challenges. It shows us eternal certainties. The effect of the servant's completed work are shown and proclaimed to God's people and the entire Gentile world. And so we see these promises tonight of God here in this world in which we live today. And I'd like to share with you three encouragements that I've found from this passage. And there we've got them up on the screen. The opportunities to come and listen to the Lord and to seek the Lord. What an encouragement. The promises of God and the results of these promises. So firstly then, verses 1 to 6, the opportunities to come, listen, and seek the Lord. A little story for you before we get into the, the passage. As you know, we've been living through a time of flooding, and uh, there was a woman and two children caught up in a river flood. They had... Uh, climbed a tree where they'd hung on as the uh, level of the water rose. Eventually, a rescue boat arrived, but couldn't get within touching distance of the tree. The firemen in the boat called out, Jump! We will catch you and save you. But the three of them wouldn't. They were scared. But eventually the boy decided, yeah, it'd be a good idea. So he jumped and he landed by the boat and the men pulled him in. The girl, his sister, seeing the brother's safety, also jumped. But she wasn't so strong, so she landed in the rising river. The men in the boat leaned out and pulled her in. The mother remained in the tree. Jump, they all shouted. We will catch you. But she hesitated, fearful. And then there was a loud crack and the tree collapsed into the rising water and the woman was washed away. Lost because her fear stopped her jumping. Well, the Bible tells us that mankind is lost, separated from a living, loving God by sin. And here in our passage tonight, Isaiah declares that in verses 1 to 3, we can come to this living God. And don't forget that Isaiah is talking to the people of God here. And he declares that they can come to this living God. 
So as I was reading and praying about this, I wondered, does our fear of what Christ calls us to do to follow him stop us coming, taking that step of faith and obedience? Now, have you look at it a bit more carefully, look at the invitation. It's for those people who have no resources in themselves to improve their situation with regard to God. There's a helplessness here. Come, he says, all of you that are thirsty. It's a very strong picture of people in a hot country whose throats are parched, desperate for water. Those that are hungry but have no money to buy what is needed. But they not only don't have the money to buy what's needed, they don't have the money for the good things of life, like wine and milk. But he says they can come, because although they have no money, the price has already been paid by God. Come to God, who will provide. And he will provide not just for your physical body, but for your spirit as well. Now this, of course, isn't just... uh, found in Isaiah. Uh, Jesus repeats the same message in John chapter 6, verse 35. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never go thirsty. But of course, Jesus isn't talking necessarily about physical hunger and thirst. He's talking about spiritual hunger and spiritual thirsting. But in these uh, first verses, we see that we not only can come, but we can listen. So verses 2 and 3. But why should they come and listen? She says, so that their soul may live. So we see here that God is interested in the whole body, the physical and the spiritual. Now, of course, listening is an interesting idea or concept. Because listening involves giving time and concentration. It means that we're willing to hear what others say, whether we believe in what they declare or not. It implies also that we have the freedom to ignore whatever's been said or to act upon it. So we read in verse 3, Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. So, listen to the Lord. Are we listening? Listening means to hear. It gives us the opportunity to respond. Well, I believe that generally, in our modern world today, we're not good, are we, at listening? I think wives often make that point to their husbands. We're not good at listening. We're not good at listening, probably, because it takes time. We have to be quiet and attend to what someone else is saying and not ourselves. I think of my examples. Uh, I'm at the moment teaching in a local school, and I think of my students who range from 11 to 14. They're certainly not good at listening. They always want to be chattering. You get them to listen for two minutes, and they're starting again. But it also applies to us as adults as well, amongst the clamour of modern life, the electronic age in which we live. And so the challenge for me is, how much time do I spend listening to God's voice through his word, through prayer, meditation, and how do I respond? 
Well, in verse 6, the writer tells God's people of the need not only to listen, but to seek the Lord. The command is to seek the Lord, to call upon him. Now, of course, again, seeking the Lord is a common theme found within the Old Testament. In religious terms, it means come with diligence to where the Lord may be found. It involves commitment, determination, perseverance and persistence in spiritual concerns, longing for the Lord's presence and fellowship. And so we can call upon the Lord and we can call upon him in worship and appeal to him in need, as we have already done in our singing tonight. And this again is a common theme that's found within the Old Testament. In the Psalms, we read in Psalm 105, verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Of course, it's not just in the Old Testament that we read of seeking the Lord. Jesus frequently speaks of this, Luke 12, verse 31. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. But when should they seek the Lord? Well, look at verse 6. Now, there's an urgency here. Now, because there may be a time when it will be a lot more difficult to do so. Perhaps because of physical barriers. Perhaps because of illness. Perhaps because of barriers of sin between them and God. Of course, this doesn't mean that God is moving away from them, rather that they are moving away from him. And I think we can all probably think of examples where we've known people, both young and old, who have drifted away from the Lord. So seek the Lord while you can. Which returns back to my theme of more of Jesus. Why? Because God will have mercy and freely pardon. So this is the message of encouragement to you tonight. The message of hope that we can call upon God and he will pardon us. But it's also a message that should drive us out from the church into the world that we live in, where people are living and dying without Jesus, as a result of which they will spend eternity without God. Yesterday, 17 men from this church went down to London. I was fortunate enough to go with them to a men's convention. And we were asked and challenged, do you really believe that people are going to spend eternity without God? Because if you do, you're surely going to tell them about it. Because how in other words are they going to hear? A great challenge for us. Well, we can seek God. Because remember, God wants his kingdom expanded. He wants all people to come to him, not just us who sit in church. But how can they come if they don't hear? So there we have it. That's the first point. Seek, listen, come to the Lord. But what about the second point? The promises of God. The promises of God. Well, these promises are all wrapped up together in a new covenant in this chapter based upon unconditional forgiveness. God promises us and his people good things. Look at verse 2. Eat, your soul will delight in the richest affair. 
God promises them good things for those that come to him. Verse 3, that your soul may live the offer of life. He also promises them that not only will they have good things, they will have mercy as well. He will have mercy on him who turns away from his wicked actions, repents and turns to God. So God not only offers him good things, he offers him mercy and pardon. He will let them off from the punishment that their actions deserve. And of course we see this in Jesus, the servant king that Isaiah has already prophesied about. Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for our sin, what I've done wrong on that cross and what we've got come to celebrate tonight at communion. And so we see here that Isaiah had prophesied that the servant king will take upon himself the punishment for mankind's wrongdoing, the actions that would lead to death. And so God's promise is mercy and pardon. But the third promise that we see here is found in verse 8, that his gifts, uh, that his thoughts and ways are different to mankind. Verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. The Lord is completely different to mankind. God's thoughts are not man's thoughts. And Israel was foolish if they thought they could act as if they knew what God was thinking and his plans were. And so we see here that Isaiah says that God's thinking and wisdom are far greater than any human wisdom and thinking. And we too can take this, can't we? And we will be foolish if we try and fit God into our mould. Try to get God and his plans conform to our plans. Instead, our plans need to fit into his plans. And this should influence as we come to consider what God wants us to do. So that's the second promise. That's the third promise. The fourth promise is the promise of his word, verses 10 to 11. The word of divine truth. In these verses, we're given the picture, and it's a wonderful picture, I think, particularly if you've ever visited desert areas. It's a picture of rain which transforms deadness into life. If you've been into a desert when there's been a a very small rain uh, shower, within a matter of hours, plants are springing up. They are growing with that rain. And this is the picture we've got here. God's word leads to life. And it's supernatural in origin, it's effective in mission, and it's instrumental in achieving his purpose. Now, of course, Jesus is the embodiment of God's word. He speaks and acts it. He brings eternal life through his death. So as we read verse 11, we see this. So it says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So, as we seek to share Jesus with our friends, we can have confidence in God's word and in the Bible in our day because God declares through his prophet it won't return empty. 
And again, yesterday at the convention, we were encouraged by this. We were given examples how people who have read God's word have turned to Jesus. But it's also a warning to us, isn't it? It's God's word that's important, not ours. So whatever we do in sharing Jesus with people, the way we point to him and speak his words, even if they're in modern language, because it's his word that provides the power to convict people of their need and turn people to him. So we've seen in this short passage these promises of God. Good things, mercy upon our sinners, and promises of his word. What about the results of these promises? Well, if you look at verse 12 and 13, you will see that. The promises are that there will be a new world which is transformed where everything is for the Lord's glory, which is eternal. It's a new way of looking at life. We look to the future where there's hope because the writer promises that God's people will be invited to a party. First two verses. And then they will be going out in joy, led forward in peace. There will be new emotions of joy, new relationships of peace. And don't we need that in our world? New guardianships led within a new environment. The fall of creation, as witnessed to in Genesis, will be put right through the death of Christ. There will be a new creation for those who believe on him. In fact, the people that believe on him will become a new creation. The trees of the land will clap their hands. The thorn bush will be replaced by pines, briars replaced by the herb myrtle. In God's new kingdom, all of creation will be witness to the greatness of God and creation will be made new. So it's a matter of perspective. It's seeing the future as God declares it and the creation will witness to God's glory. So as I started at the beginning, there's a great encouragement for us here, for us if we're believers. We can come to God, we can call upon God, We have God's promises, but there's also a challenge. Are we praying for this new creation here in Norwich now, that the young and old may call upon the Lord, that the young and old may seek his servant Jesus and expand God's kingdom? I would encourage you. We already heard at our meeting this morning, church meeting, about the new project to go out into our community and share Jesus' love with them. Well, let's be praying about that. Let's pray for the young people who meet on the Jenny Lind on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night, that, we, that those of us who go out there will know how to share that love of Jesus with them. Because only the love of Jesus will change their lives. Only when they come to love Jesus will they come into that new creation and be made new people. Amen.